Welcome to the PreparedX Podcast, your complete source for crisis, emergency, business continuity and security preparedness interviews, news, and much more. Now, your host, he creates chaos for a living, Rob Burton. Hello, and welcome to episode 128 of the PreparedX Podcast. I'm your host, as always, and just before we jump in, this episode is brought to you by First Look. First Look is a crisis management exercise service by PreparedX. There are tailor-made crisis simulation exercises that you can deliver yourself, covering everything from cyber incidents, active shooter, supply chain disruptions, weather events, or anything. Go to preparedx.com slash first look for more information. So in today's episode, I'm going to dive in here. We have a special guest, Nathan Miller of Miller Inc. Nathan brings a wealth of experience in navigating through uh, the complex and often turbulent world of crisis comms as well as crisis management. Miller Inc. is known for its expertise in handling sensitive and high-stakes situations, provides strategic um, and steering um, organizations through challenging times from high-profile litigation, which we'll get into, as well as <coughs> online reputational issues. Again, we'll touch on that as well as more in today's episode. So I'd like to welcome Nathan Miller. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Yeah, thanks. And uh, just before we jump in, Nathan, could you let our audience know a little bit about, about your career so far, where you come from, and, and where you're heading? Absolutely. Um, well, it's really great to to chat with you today. I, I've been doing strategic comms for about 20 years. I started, um, I started my career in policy, in public policy. I worked in Europe, um, working on EU Middle East policy in Brussels at a think tank there. Uh, I worked in politics in the U.S., um, local politics and national politics um, in L.A. and D.C. I spent three years as the chief speechwriter and communications director for Israel's mission to the United Nations. And then in 2013, a little over now, almost 11 years ago, I started Miller Inc., which is a full service strategic communications firm. We have a number of different areas of business that we work in. We have about 25 folks. We're headquartered here in LA. We have offices also in New York and San Francisco. I think of us as a SWAT team. We really come in and we serve as the quarterback for whoever our client is to, to drive a really strong strategic communications program forward. And a core business that we work in and a core business that I, as the CEO, personally manages our crisis business, our crisis management uh, function. And that's something we've gotten very good at over the years. We, you know, we understand the challenges, opportunities, nuances of the rapidly changing communications environment that we all exist in. This business is different every week. Yeah. Uh, let right. alone, you know, and it's transformed dramatically in the last, you know, decade or so since I opened the firm. So we're always thinking about how do you innovate within a space that's changing rapidly? How do you stay ahead of the curve? How do you give people good advice that's grounded in? sound fundamentals that I think haven't changed at all. Sure. I often joke that, you know, Aristotle still has, you know, no one's cre created a better framework for, for persuas persuasion than I think that Aristotle did thousands of years ago. <laughs> but um, you understand how to apply those basic big picture principles into onto a playing field that's changing very, very quickly. Um, we can talk about, you know, how that looks, you know, in, you know, in, in a variety of different cases that we that we work in. 
Great. Well, I'd love to hear some of those, um, you know, examples of your experience in the field. That's that's great news. So let's start off with uh, high-profile litigation. Um, so in terms of balancing the transparency in in terms of legal constraints and and also obviously being to, being able to communicate during those corporate litigation um, challenges that come up for organisations, how, how do you how do you see that from a from a balancing act? So every litigation is different. There are some lawsuits where the legal goals so far outweigh the PR goals that, you know, the lawyers will just say, you've got to be quiet. And my job is to minimize the damage within those constraints. Right. That's sort of the most conservative position that I think many lawyers are very comfortable in. There's some litigation that the PR is all that matters and the legal is not what matters at all. <laughs> and we're on the other end of the spectrum where we're using the litigation is a vehicle to get a message out. And there's a lot of reasons why you want to do that. It creates a news hook. Information contained in litigation generally is um, immune from defamation. Uh, there's reasons why litigation is a very effective vehicle for telling a story. And then there's always something in between, you know, where there is PR and legal and how you think about it. <clears throat> Our job is to understand the perspective of the client the perspective of their attorneys and to be a help helpful barometer to sort of navigate all the complexities of a, of a litigation things like you know if we litigate something in the press will that be damaging for the you know with the judge or the jury or others um does it create complications in terms of what the you know what the lawyers are actually trying to achieve um and then you know the all the all the normal pr questions who are we trying to reach what is the what is our ultimate goal? What does the day after this litigation look like? Right. Um, and and then trying to sort of take what's the core objective of the client within the litigation and outside the litigation? Who is ultimately the target audience for the communication? <clears throat> what's the message we need to deliver to that audience? And try to steward them through a process, a variety of different tactics that we may use during a litigation from a communications perspective to get to that goal, to move your audience in the direction of your, your objective using a strong message. Um, those tactics might be, you know, internal communications to their stakeholders. They might be social media. That might be reactive social media and social listening in terms of what's going on in, you know, the digital space. Um, it might be, you know, engagement with the traditional press in one way or another, um, proactively, getting us something out as, as litigation is happening or reacting or having statements prepared. There's so many different dynamics in a litigation. The thing I always say to attorneys is <clears throat> you want to have your comms folks in the meeting, not just on the bumpy landing, but also on the takeoff. Right. Too often the perspective is we only want to share on a need to know basis. And sometimes there's reason for that because you know, whether or not PR firms have privilege during a litigation is something that is disputable. You know, it's it's, yep. it's not always clear and it depends sort of on the circumstance and what state you're in. So, I, so sometimes lawyers want to be on the safe side, don't want to always share everything with us. I get that. But there's a lot that you can share. And to the extent that we can be part of the strategy going in and not just learn last minute and have to scramble to the extent that you can be prepared. You know, there's often a cadence to a litigation and you know what's coming next. So you want to think about 
you know, how do we get our ducks in a row at this moment to be prepared for this litigation in the future? And so that's that's a big piece of what I think is very important and where we can add value and and thinking through how do we make sure that we're very prepared for the next step and what do we think is coming down the road and playing chess two and three and four moves down the sure, road. Sure. Great. Well, appreciate that. So moving on then, in terms of personal and business disputes, uh, what strategies do you recommend for managing communications in a situation where a high-ranking executive in uh, an organization is embroiled in a personal dispute that is impacting the business's reputation? So there's so many different dynamics here that you want to navigate. Um, you don't want to look like a bully in the public. You don't want to look defensive. But you also don't want to let other people define the narrative for you. Um, there are sometimes there are situations where an executive has done something or is in a dispute that is sort of not congruent with the values or objectives of the company. And then you have to navigate some sort of separation. That's one dynamic. Sometimes the leader or the executive has been unfairly accused or maligned. And, you know, you want to rally around that leader and think about what that, what that looks like. Um, the environment is, is, is three-dimensional, meaning on the one hand, there's traditional press engagement, you know, there's going to sometimes be a cadence of stories back and forth. Generally, whoever strikes first helps to define the narrative and sort of set the playing field for how the dispute is going to be discussed publicly. So that's something to think about. There's what happens in terms of social media. And yeah, obviously that can bleed in traditional media too. On very high profile disputes, which we do a lot of, increasingly I see a lot of inauthentic activity, meaning paid people, influencers who are paid, quote unquote, documentary filmmakers or, you know, journalists. I put those in big quotes. <laughs> who are... Who are, who are paid by, other, you know, they're basically paid advocates and they don't disclose that. I see that increasingly in our space. I see wow. a lot of bots and other fake accounts. Sure. Um, fake news sites. Sure. AI is, AI is a big issue now as well, right? It just Absolutely. ramps it up even, even more, yeah. So, and a lot of times our clients have no idea what's going on. They bring us in and they're very confused. Right. Um, I mean, we've done we've done cases with state actors you know, driving some of this stuff. So foreign governments yep. um, or criminal organizations or, very, you know, or corporations or, you know, a lot of folks and, you know, different VCs and, you know, investors and things like that, maybe, you know, will pay to have these kind of campaigns run. So you have to be attuned to that that exists in the world, especially if you're like dealing with, and, and, and we help people to sort of suss out what's going on. <clears throat> That's very important. The other thing is, um, you know, what are your internal communications? Yep. How do you how do you communicate internally to your company, to your investors, to your customers? How, how do you think about all that? Um, have you trained? And then looking at potential vulnerabilities. You know, I always say in a in a in a crisis, it can always get worse. <laughs> People forget that. And you know, one of the things you want to do is look at where are your vulnerabilities. A, a vulnerability I see quite often is that people haven't properly trained their frontline staff so that they have a bunch of retail stores or they have an office with a bunch of people answering the phone or 
you know, whoever there, there, there's different surface area that may be available for somebody who's in a dispute with you to leverage or a reporter to call. Right. So it's training everybody on your team. How do you answer the, the phone if a reporter calls? You know, what is our process and procedure for responding? Because then when you have those gaps, sometimes you won't get real-time visibility into what's going on. You won't be able to respond effectively. Um, you, you won't have the situational awareness to make good decisions. So what we like to do, you know, we just put out a video about doing crisis planning and how important that is. So if you have, if you ha if you aren't in a crisis, you should have a plan in place for what for what to do if all these things happen. Right. And if you don't, if you are in a crisis and you don't have the plan, you better prepare the plan really quickly, and you better look at these vulnerabilities very quickly, because this is these are the unforced errors that can make something go from bad to worse. Sure. Yeah, it makes makes perfect sense. And it, it sounds like, um, you know, um, you've done some work in the real estate space as well. I'd like to know yes. a little bit about the nuances there in, in cases um, where, you know, transactions leading to public uh, controversy or backlash. I know some of these larger yeah. projects lead to demonstrations, all kinds of issues. Um, you know, how do those organizations transition and, and, and go through those, uh, you know, the negativity there that can be covered via the media and obviously, you know, keeping that stakeholder confidence? These, you know, real estate crisis comes in a few different flavors. <clears throat> One is, you know, we represent a number of folks who have large portfolios, commercial properties, you know, residential properties. When you have enough real estate that you own, the odds are that there's some, there's going to be something that goes wrong in your portfolio any given day. A pipe bursts. There's a crime at the property. Um, there's some malfunction. It's, I mean, the things I've seen. Just a simple fire, right? You know, just a fire. <laughs> I mean, but, 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 you know, to, to the more extreme, I, we've had, we've had bombs go off. We've had murders. We've had, yeah. um, you know, massive natural disaster issues. All of those require, a crisis response capability. If you have a big portfolio and you don't know what you're going to do if something goes wrong, it's there's a there's real reputational liability for you. So we represent a lot of folks who are operators of real estate, landlords, investors in big portfolios, and we think about how to navigate risk for them. And my I have a team that of very serious former journalists, mostly or are political folks who every day are on the phone managing the crises that result from right. these kinds of things. There's news crews at the property. There's an investigative reporter looking at the property. There's residents complaining. There's a tenant dispute. Any of those things, they sort of have a bat line to us. So the minute it happens, we've set up a protocol so that they send an email out. It goes to my crisis response team any hour of the day. They're on it. And nine times out of 10, we can prevent the, the potential risk exposure from becoming a public problem. Yeah. So that's a huge value add for the client. The other flavor of real estate dispute is, you know, controversy related to uh, a proposed development or deal, generally during the sort of land use planning process where there's communities that are upset, other tenants that are upset, um, and helping that helping real estate developers, whether that's, you know, a REIT that owns hundreds of malls all, all around the world, 
or a affordable housing nonprofit that's building affordable housing in, in a community that where the people aren't happy about that. We help them to navigate those dynamics. Um, you know, developing an appropriate community relations strategy on the front end. So you speak to communities, help them understand what your vision is for a project. Yep. We, you know, help them navigate the public process of public hearings that where there's a lot of risk of, you know, you're you're in a place, you're out, they get the big lights there and you got the cameras and you know, what do you say? How do you communicate? Yep. All of that is is something is stuff that we help navigate. And just like anything in business, stuff can go wrong. Deals can fall apart. Yeah. Uh, deals can get complicated. And, you know, you need somebody who can help you manage and weather that in terms of like your potential reputational exposure and, and using a good comp strategy to help achieve goals, whatever that might be. That's great. Uh, really, really good information. Um, um, so information leaks, let's get onto the, you know, the, the cyber side of your business and, and your experience here in terms of structuring a crisis comms plan in response to a data breach or some kind of leak, um, ensuring both regulatory compliance and public trust are maintained. How, how do you go about that? It, this is a really important thing. One thing that I'll just share, people don't always know this. I think it's really important. If you have an information leak and it is given to a reporter, that publication has the legal right to publish what they find, even if it, you were hacked, even if it was given unauthorized. <laughs> so once it leaves your organization, that stuff is fair game. It doesn't matter what's there, basically. If it's of public interest, at least in the United States, this is a this is a fact, and it's and it's the issue we see again and again. Um, people are hacked more often than you think. Disgruntled employees often steal information and leak it. Um, so you have to have a pro. First of all, you have to have a good protocol in place on the front end to ensure that doesn't happen. Meaning, <clears throat> you know, a really really strong cybersecurity capability within your organization. I don't care how small it is. You should have a great IT team that's always updating your your practices, your, you know, you have to train your staff. Nine times out of 10, an information leak that's a hack results from human error, a yeah. phishing attack or other things like that. So you have yeah. to be constantly training your staff on, on how to not get fooled by the latest phishing scams. And there's, there's good IT providers that can offer that service, but it's a regular thing you have to do. You have to have good legal policies written into your contracts so that you ensure that everybody understands clearly that their legal right, they, they have, they, you know, that they are legally entitled to keep information confidential and to yep. train on that and help people understand it so that they don't get tempted if they have a, if you have a disgruntled employee or whatever to leave and leak information that they understand that they don't have a legal right to do that. Um, we deal with it a lot. <laughs> I've had some crazy cases in this sense. I've had former heads of HR go rogue and go crazy and <laughs> information all over the internet oh. um, and post things on social media. Um, and, you know, we've had to use legal and other routes to kind of get that stuff down, right. dealing directly with the platforms, um, dealing with reporters that got access to the information. We've had foreign states that hacked clients of ours and leaked it to the press yep. and not only leaked it, but altered the information. So, oh. Boy, oh you, know, it, you know, so proving that the information is forged, which is a real high burden, but we did it. Uh, so I would say for the, for the, for, for any, any normal organization, you should have a really clear policy in place to prevent this. If you, 
do have the, I had another situation where um, we had a big retailer that was facing a class action lawsuit for something that was frivolous, but you know, the, really their leverage was just the reputational damage of having this suit. And one of the pieces in the suit was that they had actually somehow had their security system, their video cameras hacked. And that ended up in this in this in this plaintiff's lawsuit. And we were not unable to claw that back. So even things like, you know, what's the what's the digital security on your camera systems? Right. People don't understand how many different surfaces there are to, to you know what that might be vulnerable. And you need yeah. to you need to do an assessment and you have to be constantly reevaluating to make sure that you're not a victim of one of these things because it is so disruptive to an organization. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, that must have been a fun one to uh, manage. <laughs> Did that go on for several, what was that, six-month project? <laughs> oh, that was years. Yeah, years. Years, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, well, well, moving on to online reputation then, uh, can you outline your approach to rapidly and effectively managing and restoring an organization's, you touched on it there, online reputation following you know some kind of negative social media campaign? Yeah, so there's a few different things. Um we have some great partners in the online reputation management space, but they have to be carefully managed. A lot of people will go and use just an ORM vendor. And sometimes the cure can be worse than the disease. <laughs> I'll tell you, um, I had a very, I had a fortune 500 client, a CEO that was ex-military, kind of a big, just sort of like, you know, his, his personality was strong, take charge. There was a reputational issue. They'd hired an ORM vendor. And the articles that they'd put out about this SEO were more embarrassing than the stuff we were trying to, to cover. So it was like, you know, five ways to freshen up your look from the CEO. <laughs> Things like that. They were just totally <laughs> off-brand and bizarre. Um, and this was from a really big company. And they were paying a lot of money for the ORM. So I, I think that the first thing is, who is actually overseeing the vendors? How? What are you doing? What, tech, what techniques are you doing? It does... Does the actual vendor you're using create greater liability or risk for you? Yep. The best way to solve SEO in a long-term way is to have great organic content that's ranking high, you know, and thinking proactively about how are you telling your story and putting your brand out there constantly yep. so that one bad article can't dominate the search sure. results and dominate. So I think that's like something that everyone should be doing anyways. Yep. But once you get in a situation where you have negative press and you maybe need to push something down and you want to think about it. Um, it's really important that you that you that you have the right partners and you have the right people managing those partners to make sure that they're not doing things that are going to harm your reputation um, inadvertently. Uh, it's but it's you know it's a it's an art as much as a science, no matter what anyone tells you. Yep. you have to really deeply understand how to work with these vendors and how to stay on top of you know where you know the algorithm is always changing, the the tools and techniques are always changing. Yep. Um, so you need to be in working in this area constantly to make sure that you're not, you know, falling behind, you know, in terms of your strategic or tactical approach. Yeah. I really like that. I love that approach and, and not really come across it much as it relates to, um, you know, crisis communications. You know, we do a lot of blogs, we do a lot of podcasts, we do a lot of, you know, content related stuff and we try and follow the SEO and it like you said, Google changes its algorithms all the time. So you have to stay on top of it, but I really like that approach. If you, if you get something wrong, then you may not be dominated by that one article. You, you may have, you know, another dozen up there that are saying good things. So that's great. That's exactly right. 
Yeah, I love that. Uh, all right, moving. Well, this has been great. So I've got, we we kind of start to wrap up at the end here, Nathan, with all things uh, crisis simulation exercises. I'd love to hear from you, your experiences, your thoughts around that, um, benefits of conducting these. It sounds like uh, you would be an advocate of uh, crisis yeah. simulation exercises. I think the more you can do them, the more realistic they can be, the more inclusive they can be of different team members who need to understand their role. Um, I think they're extremely helpful and important. <clears throat> Internally on my team, we do training every Wednesday for an hour on something. And we'll do a lot of mock simulations, sort of, you know, different, but, you know, practicing a crisis yep. with a situation, with someone play acting as the reporter or the client, and then the team member responding to the situation and then we give critique sort of at right. different points. love that yeah yeah and people learn a lot in those moments yeah you know i found it to be extremely helpful in training folks you yeah. know once they, they just get much more comfortable when they're in that moment and they also learn little little nuances and it's a great way to sharpen their skills so i i'm a big 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 proponent of doing simulations and you want to find the right partner i mean depending on the size of the organization there are great partners that will build out your simulations to be very accurate and yep. dynamic. And we have some great, we, we've used some great partners that have built out whole sets and, you know, scenarios and, yep. you know, they, they can, they can get very elaborate. Um, but if you don't have a budget or the time to do that, even just a simple simulation. Yep. Internally. Makes, yeah, makes, sure. a, makes a, makes a world of difference. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we we do the breaking news. You know, we do this on. You know, it's obviously static, but we do the obviously social media piece. We've even done. We call it on Wall Street today, but it looks like the journal, and we put it in. You know, physical exercise. We did one with a Fortune 500 a few months ago, and we had the newspaper drop on front of them, and it was day two of the crisis, right? And they're they're above the fold, and they you know, and they're just like oh, <laughs> and, and and funnily, it was a cyber. It's funny. It's a cyber um, scenario, and of course, a month later, what happens? <laughs> they're in the middle of a cyber scenario yeah. and it, it wasn't the uh the the paper version of the publication but they were online uh obviously through the journal as well so you know it's wow. really important yeah that's amazing yeah yeah well this has been great i, I really appreciate your time nathan i know you're super busy um if folks want to get a hold of you can they reach out i know we've got I your can. linkedin uh we'll yeah, put your linkedin in the bio in the notes uh and absolutely please reach out we're always happy to hear from folks and always happy to help and yeah, definitely reach out, feel free to reach out to me or, you know, check out, we have a lot of content on our website and our LinkedIn um, related to crisis comms or into other comms sort of principles. And so we, we love to do that and, you know, definitely come check it out and, and, and give us, give us a holler. Great. Well, I appreciate your time today. Nathan, take care. Nice to meet you Thanks so much. Thank you. Okay, that wraps up episode 128 of our podcast. Um, if you would like to rate us on iTunes, please feel free to do so. We'd appreciate that or any of the other outlets where you're listening to this. And don't forget, we have the International Crisis Management Conference on June 5th and 6th in Rhode Island again. This will be our ninth year in partnership with crisisconferences.com. Check out uh, that website for more details. Until next time, we appreciate um, your time. Thanks again, Nathan. Thank you. Thank you.